it will all be okay. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 257 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For episode 257, I am chatting with Isla Tomjanovic. She's a professional tennis player originally born in Croatia and moved to the United States when she was 14. She is known by many for playing Serena Williams in her final match at the U.S. Open in 2022 and winning. In today's episode, Isla talks to me about coming up in the sport of tennis, supported by her family who also was extremely active. Her father was actually a professional handball player in Croatia. A huge theme in our conversation today, navigating injury and the unexpected hurdles that come hand in hand with succeeding in sport. Isla is currently coming back from a knee injury, most recently super bummed after having to withdraw from the French Open because it just isn't healing as she'd hoped. We talk about how that kind of progress, which is still progress, feels for her and how she manages to keep a positive mindset amidst this super difficult hurdle. Isla and I also talk about navigating the spotlight. Plus, she talks to me about one of her sponsors, Amorpho. They actually hooked us up for this conversation. For those who haven't heard of Amorpho, they make weighted training gear. If you watched the Breakpoint documentary on Netflix, I cannot recommend it enough. You'll see that all of Isla's friends and family are actually wearing Amorpho hats in the stands at the U.S. Open for that famous Serena win, which gave me a little bit of a laugh. I myself have tried their training gear, and it's essentially designed to help people build strength and boost your cardio and even burn more calories while working out. I will link to their website and their socials in the show notes to this podcast. So happy that we were able to make this happen. Make sure you are following along with Hurdle on social. It is at Hurdle Podcast. I myself am over at Emily Abadi. Now, last little bit of housekeeping. If you're not subscribed to The Weekly Hurdle, what are you waiting for? The link to do that is in the show notes by subscribing. Not only will you get the same motivation, inspiration, things you love from the show directly in your inbox every single Friday, but you'll also get my gear picks, what I'm watching, what I'm listening to. I often get questions asking for recommendations for everything from sneakers to tank tops and sports bras and more, and you will find a lot of my go-tos recommended in the weekly hurdle. Again, it's free and the link to subscribe is in the show notes. With that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. (laughs) 
Today, I'm sitting down with Isla Tomjanovich. She is a pro tennis player. How are you doing today, Isla? I'm good. I got a good training day in. Uh, I made it through it, so I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, are there, are there days we don't make it through the training day? There are. Well, there are days where we have to modify training, and I don't like that because it's like a my my team doesn't even call it a setback, but to me, it feels like a setback. As soon as we have to pull back a little bit, I'm not happy. So I had a big day yesterday, second big day today in a row and we're golden so far. So I'm happy. We're golden and we're happy. Those are both good things. I think a lot of people listening to this right off the bat can probably relate to that feeling, right? That feeling of, oh, I don't want to feel like I failed if I have to modify something. How do you work with that mindset and overcome that? Oh, um, my PT made a really good point when I was like, I, I, we had to like pull back a little bit and I, he could see the disappointment in my face and, and almost like everything is not going the right way. And he was like, listen, with the injury, well, I'll talk from, you know, my perspective, having an injury, he's like, with this type of thing, you can't compare yourself to yesterday. Like you have to compare yourself a week ago. And then he's like, how was it last Friday? And I was like, well, it was this Friday it was much better. He's like, well, you know, that's the kind of mindset you have to keep up with. And that's very hard when you're just a professional athlete trying to get back out there. <laughs> so I'm like easier said than done. Easier said than done. Professional or non-professional injuries are just no fun for anyone. For those that may be a little bit out of the loop, tell uh, the hurdlers, which is what I call my listeners, what you're navigating right now. Yeah, I had a minor procedure done in on January 20th on my left knee. Uh, my cartilage uh, needed some TLC, so my surgeon cleaned everything up. But there was uh, there's definitely a road ahead since then of just strengthening and letting it heal and just almost learning all the new movements again because it's a. Uh, I think now it's catching up to me that it's trickier than I thought it would be. Just the rehab process, not not you know like I will. I will get back out there, you know, in no time and it'll be, it'll be fine again, but it's just more the, the mental side where I thought, Oh, just to clean up, we'll be fine in a few months, you know, but it's mentally a little bit taxing just because I feel my need daily, but it's part of the rehab process, you know? Oh, do I know I'm dealing with plantar fasciitis right now, which, uh, is just like the injury that never quits. So I really sympathize and relate to your story, especially this concept that progress from an injury is like rarely ever actually linear, right? Yeah. I, my plenty of fasciitis is almost like the norm having that you're weird if you're an athlete and you don't have that. <laughs> so I actually had it. And now with this, it's gotten better. So that's the upside to having surgery and being out a little bit. At least my heel got better. We love it. Well, uh, I know you celebrated a birthday recently. You've been playing professionally since 2009 for a minute now. So talk to me a little bit about how it feels almost having to go through this being a little bit of a beginner again, in essence, just like back when you started on the circuit. Yeah, I, in the moment, I hate it. But you know what I when I look back, it almost feels like every time there's like a setback like this, it feels like you're starting over again, also in a new way, because there are so many things that I'm better at since like my shoulder surgery that happened, you know, six, seven years ago, or when I had mon and I was out for a while. And, and I whenever you know, when this happened, my first thought was maybe not my first, my first thought was like crying, but like, right after it was like, I am so curious to see how this is going to impact me in a positive way. Because 
there's always going to come that part as well with all the bad stuff there will come something out of it that I'll be like wow if this didn't happen I wouldn't be this and this and I love that it still showed me that my love for this sport is even stronger than ever which I'm happy you know at 30 years old doing this for such a long time you have girls that burn out and they're happy to you know retire soon and and to me it's like oh my gosh I need to maximize whatever I can because I can't imagine not doing this yeah yeah of course I mean like you said you've been doing it you're now 30 back since 2009 did you feel this exact same way this level of excitement and just pure love for your sport when you went pro back in 2009 oh my gosh I was so excited like when, even though, okay, 2009, I was 17, no, 16. And I remember my, I, you know, everyone was like, oh, you turned pro. And, and my dad was like, listen, when he heard me like call myself that he was like, look, until you pay for all your expenses and like manage to make money on the side and like make, have some savings. Like, I don't think you can call yourself that. Like I wasn't making in prize money, you know, what I to like support myself at 16 that came, you know, in a few, like a few years later. So my dad, if he heard someone say, Oh, she turned pro 2009. He's like, no, a few years later is when we count it, which I agree with as well. But, you know, starting at in 2009 with all the pro tournaments that I started playing, and just being in the environment where I was like, I want to become, I want this to become my norm was so energizing. Like I remember coming to every like Grand Slam qualies. I just like lived for that. And it took me a year to realize that actually the tournament starts when we, when I believe, because I wouldn't make past the qualies the first year at the slams. So I was like, okay, I need to like actually make it to these tournaments, you know, established. So it was just such a fun climb because you're, like every small improvement, every small win, it, it was huge for me. Yeah. I love hearing about your dad trying to keep you grounded. Oh, still to this day. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that relationship has aided you in this journey? It, it, I feel very lucky now at 30 to still have an like, even better relationship with my dad than, you know, before. Um, Cause you know, we grew together and, and, he was a professional athlete himself, which really helped with a perspective of a parent. Sometimes that can get tricky when, when professional athletes go into something and parents aren't really aware of the world you're being thrown into. And having a dad that was just so about the process and just happy that his daughter's pursuing something similar like he was. I think for, for my dad, it was like his own little second career of just following me around and, and seeing me improve and, and reach my goals. So to have someone on tour all these years, I mean, the loneliness was never really there, you know, mm. when the losses would happen and even the wins, like you want to have someone next to you celebrating that. That's really that, you know, it is your ride or die. And um, you don't really find that in coaches as well, because that can change. You know, you can't always be so connect, like um, not connected, but like anchored to them, like you can to your family. So I, I just feel like, um, it's been, I'm very lucky that I got to do that with him for so long and still. Yeah. Going pro at 17, so much has changed for you since then. Talk to me about some of those earlier years, the lessons that you were learning as you were trying to find your footing amongst all of the other pro athletes. Yeah. Starting out, I remember I would always compare myself to all the girls my age because that was a big thing growing up. Like when you're in the 12s or the 14s, you're always like, oh, who's the best in this age group? 
And now it seems so silly because nobody cares about age. It's just about how you perform. <laughs> but I remember like I was always comparing myself to them and it would sometimes hinder my uh, process because, you know, one tournament, someone else would do well. It wasn't always my time to have the tournament that I would, would really want to do well at. And it put extra pressure on me that I didn't really need because I'm already the type of person that just puts a lot of expectation on myself. And it's a blessing and a curse. I don't think I would have gotten this far if I wasn't driven like that. But at the same time, I there were times when I could have been kinder to myself and would have helped. But just seeing that whole journey as a long thing rather than, oh my gosh, tomorrow I have to win. Uh, I wish as a kid, like I, I wish it could have been easier on me. But then, you know, I wonder, could it have been? It, maybe yeah. this was just how it was meant to be. Super interesting to hear that you had that level of awareness to keep it within a certain group, per se. You're talking about other players that are your own age. You knew well enough not to maybe get into the sport and compare yourself against number one, number two, et cetera. Now, did you have a certain experience that you felt like instilled that level of awareness in you? I've always been a thinker. So like I would overanalyze every situation I'm in and I am a little bit of a late bloomer and that was really not, I didn't like that. I, I, you know, there were girls playing at the same time as me that would, you know, had that amazing result when they were like 17, 18. And that wasn't me. Like I was the one people talked about, like she has potential, she's good, but I didn't have that boom moment and I was aware of it. And it took me like, maybe even in like my, my mid twenties, when I had some setbacks and I, when I realized that it doesn't all, it, nothing, none of it matters, you know, your career is your own and, and I can play for so many more years. Nobody's going to care about things that I think people care about. And now looking back, I'm like, I wish it could have taken me less years to realize some things, but I also can't change who I am. You know, there's a reason I am the way I am, the way I'm wired and the way I think. And I've grown to also like that about myself. I'm not perfect at all, but I love that I I have like the drive and the passion that I think when I look around on tour, sometimes I don't see it as, you know, as strongly in some other ones that I actually in a way would admire, which is kind of trippy. You know, I appreciate what you said about understanding that the setbacks that you were experiencing in your mid 20s, they were really happening for you. I would argue that, you know, come 2013, 2014, that's when your career really took off. So if you wouldn't mind, put us in your shoes back in that time period. What was it like to be Isla in 2014? Oh, Isla 2014. Ooh, I was like, that were my rebellious years. <laughs> like, if you talk to my mom, she'd be like, oh my gosh, Isla was the perfect child until 22. <laughs> and I would like agree in a way that I really like, I was so all about doing the right thing all the time. But there came a point where, you know, I just wanted to break free a little bit in different areas of my life. And I really like when I look back, like they're fun years because I think I had some really nice results, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't completely fulfill my potential. There were a lot of things that were a problem. For example, I would play a bad match and I wouldn't, I, I didn't have the capability of being hundred percent honest with myself of what was wrong. What, what didn't I do well? Because for some reason I just, 
I couldn't face some of these fears and problems that I was dealing with until maybe three, four years later. And then, you know, I was able to actually change something in these matches. So it was like my early 20s in my career where it was a ton of like highs and lows. Yeah, I couldn't figure out that middle where it's like, okay, I figured out how to have my consistency. And now I just need to like slowly go up. It was always like boom, down, up. And it was really messing with my confidence because I would just hear people say like, oh yeah, she can compete with the best, but mm, just the consistency is not there. And it would like really mess with my head a little bit where I was like doubting, well, can I really do it at a level where I feel like I belong? Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, to ride those high highs and then also navigate those low lows, that would be difficult for anyone. Now, you said that you were able to get to a point where you became more capable of reflecting and being honest with yourself. Did something specific happen that enabled that within you? I think naturally I was getting really sick of not address. I could feel I'm not addressing the issue. And you know, early on in my career, my parents would always encourage me to work with a psychologist. And when I was younger, I saw that as such a weakness, like talking to someone about your mental side of the game. I thought like, why, well, why would I do that? I'm, I'm fine. Like there's nothing wrong with me. And that's when I like, when I started initiating that is when I could see that something's going to change soon because I was willing to be very vulnerable and just admit something that's been very hard for a couple of years. And, you know, it still wasn't not like it solved everything, but I could definitely see that after every setback, I was actually learning from my experiences and that was huge. So I think just being more consistent with being honest with myself, my team and my psychologist and just working through stuff before I would just, like before I match, my dad would be like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm great. And then I come on the court and I'm like, I'm having an anxiety attack. Like, <laughs> And now, I mean, if my, my dad asks me like, how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm nervous for this one. And it doesn't feel like I'm less than just because I'm nervous. Because honestly, everyone is. Back then that felt like a crime to like to say that I'm nervous, you know? Yeah, I can totally relate with this. And I'm sure many people listening can as well. This concept of being on autopilot, someone asking how you are and you're like, I'm good. I'm great. It's like, you want to show up. You want to be great, but there's so much freedom that comes with being honest about how you're really doing. And that freedom then in turn, when you vocalize what's actually going on, enables you to better show up for yourself and then get after whatever it is that you're getting after. Yeah. hundred percent. And like my, one of my early on, like I, could, I changed a few psychologists throughout my career but one woman really helped me and she was like, take the power away from whatever is holding it like, like over you because, you know, like, okay, let's say your nervousness or your anxiety, like you say, you acknowledge it. And then it kind of like, you could feel your whole self kind of relaxing being like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I'm feeling, but it's fine. Doesn't mean that anything's bad's going to happen now. Doesn't mean, cause that's, that's how you're feeling. I'm going to have a bad match in two hours. After that, like so many things would just naturally fall into place. Like I'd have a match where I'm like, oh, how did I just do that? And it's like, well, because I've done the work before. Right. Totally. Totally. Do you remember those first few times chatting with your psychologist, how that felt for you? Honestly, it felt liberating at first. Yeah. Like the first few times I spoke to um, my psychologist back then, I felt like 
like a big, like the weight of the world was off my chest. And then I thought I was cured too. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. This worked. <laughs> yeah. No. I'll never have any issues ever again because I <laughs> yeah. spoke about my feelings at least three times. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is so amazing. Everyone should do this. But yeah, it, it felt great just to let all my darkest thoughts out and, and not be, not be judged and, and actually feel like it's normal and it's common. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was then, then the next challenge is like, okay, when that creeps in, when you're on a stadium full of people, how do you still keep it together? Right. Um, but yeah, like you want to get to a point where it's a little bit of autopilot on court. And, but some days it isn't, and that's okay too. It's just, I, I never, like, I remember one match maybe during COVID. I, it was, that's where it, like, I remember, like, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I never want to, I can lose every ma- match from now on. I just never want to feel like this again. Like, just so not in control of my body. And, um, I mean, knock on wood, I'm not even nervous to say, it, but it hasn't happened since. And I don't think it will happen again just because I, I have like coping mechanisms as well of what to do when, when some thoughts creep in and, and just, yeah, you know, unnecessary stuff in the head. Like, I mean, it's sometimes our like worst enemy, our own thoughts. It's so true. It's so true. And what you're talking about a little bit here uh, alludes to also having a bit of a mindfulness practice. Would you say that you regularly integrate either breath work, meditation? What does your mindfulness practice look like these days? Oh, you know, I wish I had a better routine with meditation because I really believe that it helps. I just never could get into a good routine, like where I'm like daily or even every other day when I'm feeling stressed, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. But that's, that's almost like faking it a little bit. But I think what's been helping me the most is just a lot of talking, like whatever I feel, I just blurt it out. And it's gotten, it's gotten to a point where if I, let's say I'm having a day and I'm trying not to also be overbearing to the people around me. So I want to like, you know, keep, be mindful of not always sit telling them everything, but then if I keep it in for too long, I, I go nuts. Yeah. So it's just like, I just blurt it out. And, and that's been, I mean, I think that's actually great, even with your relationships with people around you that they know what's going on because these are the people that are very close to me and it's good, but yeah, like that's been crucial for me. Just talking about whatever I'm feeling. And, and sometimes even the person you don't think will help you will just say one thing and, and it will be good, you know? Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get it. And it, it shows that you're keeping people around you that really care about you, right? They want what's best for you. And so often we can feel like a burden to those around us when we're just talking about ourselves, right? But those people that care for your betterment, they want you to talk about yourself because they want you to be okay. And that's yeah. the most important part. Now, I do want to dial back to 2016 when you got your shoulder surgery. Talk to us a little bit about where your mental space was heading into that month. Uh, well, I was dealing for like six, seven months with just a lot of shoulder pain. And I even took three months off to try to rehab it without the surgery. And nothing was helping. And then I I ended up going to see my surgeon again. But the tricky part about it is that he never told me and I'll we still joke about it because he he did my other surgery. So we actually have a good relationship. And he never told me in the beginning that surgery was really an option. He was just, you know, 
having me focus on my rehab and, and see how it goes. So when I went to see him the second time, he was like, okay, like we got to fix it now. It didn't really work. And I remember when he told me the time frame of how long I would be out, it felt like, like a, like I, like a stab to my chest. I mean, I was an invincible 22 year old, soon to be 23. And like injuries were just whatever, you know? So to all of a sudden be out for a year felt like it just didn't feel like my life. It felt like it took a long time to really come to terms. And yeah, I would say that those two years from that surgery were really very challenging. Even the year coming back from it was was not easy, but um, it definitely helped me now for this one, even though, okay, I'm six, seven years you know, smarter and, and older and more experienced, but still like this hit me in a different way, but still, it's still a hit, you know, as an athlete, like you, it's the worst thing that can happen. And we don't realize it until that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But it teaches you and prepares you to handle whatever hurdles lay ahead. Now you said that that year felt like what was an eternity. Tell us about what you were doing during that year. What did your days look like when you couldn't show up as you'd hoped to? Absolutely nothing. I was doing nothing except rehab, which people, I don't know, they sometimes I don't think they know when you're rehabbing how much time it takes out of your day. Um, <laughs> so I was rehabbing for like five, four or five hours a day. And that like for sure for like eight, nine months. And I remember like my my mom was kind of encouraging me to keep my brain going with like things that aren't tennis related. She was like, Oh, let's sign up for some classes or something. And I just, I couldn't do it. And looking back, I really regret it, but I do remember mentally I wasn't capable. Like I just, I was very stubborn and I, I was like, listen, if I start doing other things, who knows what, like, I want this still to be the thing I want to do. And I couldn't separate, you know, okay, well I'm rehabbing and doing this while tennis is waiting. So I, I got, I, that would be the period that I experienced for the first time. Some just some dark times, you know, the first time where you're like really feeling like you don't want to get out of bed and it sounds rough now, but I really kind of do appreciate it because I don't know, it taught me a lot about myself. And at that time I wasn't enough, like there was not enough self-awareness for me to do something about it. Where now, if I feel like one day I can't, I'm in a bad mood. It's like, well, I don't let myself feel like that too long. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. The lessons that we can learn uh, that you learned while you were down and out. And then, I mean, not to spoil anything here, but as we go along this story arc, you come back and start to have some really, really great playing time. How did that feel for you? It felt very rewarding. It just, uh, there's always that one moment that happens after a big injury where you just feel like, okay, all that, what I did and went through was worth it. And I don't exactly know which moment that was, but I remember I had it and it just feels so nice because obviously you don't train just to be back playing. You want to go back winning and you want to go back to your ways and be even better and show that, you know, it was just a setback and you can, be better than you were before that. Mm -hmm. So I think when I got my career high after my surgery, that was like, whoa, I, I did that because I remember people were saying that 
you know, not, not, it's not easy to come back from shoulder surgery. And I've, of course I go like, you know, when you're sick and you Google something and then you see all the, like that you're basically dying. So what I was doing, I was looking at all the people that, that had to retire because of shoulder surgery. <laughs> I was going like worst case scenario. And that like, as a 23 year old, that really scared me because I was like, of course I'm still going to play. But the fact that there was a possibility really scared me. Um, so I was very, very, very like just thankful after that, you know, I could still play. And let me tell you, I was never doing rehab before 22, but I've been doing rehab ever since. <laughs> so it taught me that as well. <laughs> I know. I feel like it's in these moments that we're injured that we actually do all the things we're quote unquote supposed to do all the time. Like warming up and cooling down and foam rolling and dedicating time to recovery. And it's in these moments that we are reminded how it doesn't need to be an Everest level worthy of effort, an Everest amount of effort to give your body what it needs to perform better. What's in your toolbox these days when it comes to taking care of your body and recovering to your best ability? Um, well, I would say like the, all the rehab programs I have for my core, my shoulder, now my knee, <laughs> even for my feet is something that I like in my mind, I never slack on and I always keep it in my head. Okay. I have to do this where like the strength stuff, the agility, I just leave that to my, whoever's in charge of that in my team, which my dad does my physical preparations. So that I just like, I'm kind of, okay, what are we, what are we doing today? This I'll do it. But all the things that are preventative, I really try to just be very mindful of on the daily because I know, I know 30 is the new 20, but Hey, this <laughs> body has been through a lot and I just need to give it a little bit extra TLC these days. And that's okay. I would say recovery though, is another big one. And I didn't think I'd ever say this, but sleep, sleep has been something I prioritize these days, big time. Like if I don't see on the clock, if I don't do the math and if I don't see at least nine hours, I, I I almost push my day back, like just to start more like in the right frame of mind. And I mean, do you remember the days when you like run on six hours and still think you're okay until it catches up to you? Yeah, yeah, no, I remember those days. I used to, in my early days, I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I used to be able to like go out dancing until 1.30 in the morning and somehow miraculously show up to a workout class that started at 7.15 a.m. <laughs> no more, Isla. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I just sobered up from three drinks I had for my birthday and it's been like three days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can totally relate to this. I can totally relate to this. And I also really appreciate this sentiment that you know that although it may feel inconvenient, that slight inconvenience of making the time to do all of this prehab is something that's going to help you stay what you're doing. And again, that sentiment is super easy to lose sight of when it feels like, oh, this thing takes so much time. I'm just not in the mood, et cetera, et cetera. Also, when you feel good. Like exactly. I find myself sometimes being at a tournament and having playing well and be like, Oh my gosh, I feel amazing. When really I'm like running on adrenaline probably. And I'm like, and, and then I, I can feel myself slack off a little bit, but that's, I mean, it's normal that, you know, on the road, it's harder to do everything the way we would in a controlled environment. But yeah, I think my whole team is just also very aware of 
doing this stuff that it's important. But um, I was just now in LA doing my rehab and, and we tested a few things. And I was like so proud that like my hips and my core were has still had good numbers, even though I'm still a few weeks away from my best fitness. But I was like, okay, maybe, maybe my rehab is paying off a little bit. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my friends at Element. Now, for those that don't know, this is my go-to electrolyte solution. Element is a delicious electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. I drink three bottles of it today on my 70-mile bike ride, which was so much fun. I love Element because it's got a lot of salt and no sugar. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and has a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium. And I cannot reiterate this enough. It's got none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. They just came back with my favorite flavor, the grapefruit salt, but they do have tons of different tastes for every single style. I'm talking raspberry, citrus, orange, chocolate. If you warm it up, it makes an amazing hot chocolate. I swear, so many options. Head on over to drinkelement.com. That's drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack with your purchase today. Again, that is drinkelement.com, drinklmnt.com slash hurdle to get a free sample pack. Try all of the flavors today, absolutely free with your purchase. I'm sure it's paying off a little bit. You mentioned on the road. You have been on the road for some time. Tell us a little bit about what that has been like for you going through all of your 20s, uh, traveling the world. Well, it's gotten basically now. I don't know what to do with myself when I'm in one spot for longer than two weeks. So I absolutely love being on the road. I mean, I miss it so much. I, I love just having that fast-paced life of being in a different city every other week. And even though, you know, the season is the same, so it's always the same city every year, but like, all, you know, the scheduling, but still, I, I, I just love, I guess, having a purpose, but also incorporated with traveling. Like, I love seeing new places, new people. And yeah, um, I don't know how I'll do once I once I'll stop because what people like are supposed to be in one place when they retire, right? That's what normal people do. <laughs> I don't know how I'll do that. <laughs> do you feel as though that traveling can take a toll on your relationships, whether it be with your family or your friends or whatnot? Yeah, that's the one thing that isn't ideal. I I miss like for example, I don't really have middle school friends. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, I did part of my school in Croatia then I did online and I don't have these core friendships from like when we were seven years old. And I, and I know that that's due to my lifestyle. And I, I mean, you know, I take the good with the bad. I would never change what I have now because of that, but it's just a little bit harder. Let's put it this way. You make different friendships. You have to, you know, all my friends now, they know that we can't talk every day. Well, I don't know. Do you talk with your friends every day? Not every no. day. No, yeah. definitely not. And I don't think a lot of people do. Yeah. 
yeah, I can't do this thing where we're like chatting all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I am lucky. I mean, I have a few friends that are really close and I, I feel like I can trust them. And, and, you know, if I'm really down or something, they'll be there for me. And I think that's actually now that's a lot. I, I, I don't, they're like, everyone else is more of an acquaintance that I can have fun with, but yeah, I I'm lucky enough that I have my family on the road a lot. My sister works, um, in finance, so she can't come as much as I would like her to. So she's the one that I actually missed the most because I would, I would love to have her just more often at tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a lesson that we learn as we get older, right? Like the importance of truly high quality relationships and maintaining those relationships and giving your energy to those relationships. Because as we get older, like we just diversify our priorities right now, you're in, you know, arguably, uh, the height of your career. And this is something that's a priority for you right now. So to have those people that you can go to and talk to about it, even if they're few, that's something really special. Yeah, hundred percent. And tennis has definitely sifted out the ones that were never going to really be amazing friendships. And I'm okay with that. I mean, that's not a problem. I think whoever meets me as a friend or whoever, like they, they'll know very quickly what my life is like. And you just have to find someone, people that are aligned the same way and and you're worth it, even though that's your lifestyle. Even though that's your lifestyle. All right. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't now fast forward us to 2022, because this is when if someone hadn't heard the name I love before, they heard it in 22 when you had the match against Serena and one bring us to your headspace, even walking into this match. Oh my God. What's about to happen? <laughs> because <laughs> I knew that there was no way to prepare for it. I did as best as I could, but I knew that it was going to be more than what I prepared for because it's just an occasion that will probably for me, at least never happen again. I mean, yeah. in a long time, nobody's going to as great as Serena is going to be retiring in her home slam. That's just like, Yeah, it was almost out of a book, you know, when I really think about also the things that happened, the way I had to walk out and then a video was played of her winning all the titles. It's like, when does that happen? Never. It's like, I wasn't loving that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, let's stack every single odd absolutely against you. Yeah, just bring it. But it's been the most amazing memory now. And it showed me that I'm capable of so much more than I even think, because I truly like thought that that would maybe be a little much that whole everything together. Not that I didn't believe in myself, but it just felt like, oof, I I don't know if I can handle this. I can't even, I remember, I mean, I remember watching that match on TV and just having so much sympathy for you thinking to myself, like anyone who was in this match right now, I don't even know the mental gymnastics that must have been going through your head. Yeah. I remember I came off the court and my mom like looked at me and she's like, Isla, what are you on something? Like, where are the emotions? Like she obviously she was joking, but she was like, what did you eat today? Because I've never seen you just be so in like a Zen mode. And I was like, well, mother, I didn't take anything. Doping control <laughs> is a real thing. <laughs> um, but I also understood what she meant because I don't know where, yeah, I, 
the best answer is I don't exactly know where all that came from. Like the, the calmness of even when I won a big point, you know, where usually I'd maybe get all excited. It wasn't happening, but I do remember people will look back on my year of 2022 and talk about it, but nobody really talks about this one match that was really, really for me, a turning point. And that was my fourth round at Wimbledon. I beat Alize Cornet and I remember I was, I, I was struggling a little bit physically with my body. Like I had this, um, not in the moment I wasn't sick, but I was sick before and it took me a little bit to recover from it. So I was coughing like like crazy. Everyone like thought I had COVID (laughs) and which I didn't. And I remember I, I was, I was down and I was losing, but there was just this moment that I went into my shell and I, I wasn't looking anymore at my team. It was just like, like, like a zone and not a zone in a way where like I'm playing lights out, but just with my mind. And I came and even during, I I didn't question it too much, but I remember like, just like, I would play an amazing point and just put my head down and just go next one. And I was thinking, should I pump myself up more? But then I was like, you know what? No, like, this is what my body is just reacting to. And let's just go with it and end up winning it. And since then, there were so many times I've channeled that thought and that feeling into my matches and it helped immensely it doesn't come naturally because it's a little bit also like a psychopath where it's just no emotion because I am emotional like I I do have it inside but I think I bring my best when I'm very leveled and the Serena match was just a perfect combo of all the things you know that I needed and they came out and I would be lying if I said, look, that's, there was a bit of luck as well. Like just, of you know, everything aligning in that one night, it could have gone sideways like easily, you know, but it was just, I think it was just a moment that I kind of deserved in my career. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear you talk about it and to talk about it so fondly and also to be able to recognize and kind of commemorate these other special moments that got you to that big big win. Now, aside from trying to find your calm in moments of stress, are there other mantras or things that you lean into or repeat to yourself, uh, affirmations even to help you kind of keep it together on the court? Yeah. I, I talk to myself a lot. Like if, if, if a camera's following me, like you always have my mouth moving and, and I'm never talking to someone. It's always to me. And for example, I mean, it goes from little things like before my serve, I'll always just repeat three things like go up, toss or legs. And it's never in the same order. Like it's not a routine. It's more just when I feel it. But the things that really help me mentally on the court is when I'm feeling stressed. I just try to encourage myself that it's not a big deal. Like it's just tennis. But at the same time, I try to get myself pumped up to believe in myself. So it's like a good kind of middle of just, which is, I think the best way to describe is just being at peace but eager to win. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. You you saying the sentence, it's just tennis, but then we talk about all of these dramatic and massive sacrifices that have come along with it. The opportunity cost, if you will, when you think about how long you want to be making these sacrifices, how long you want to be on the court, what do you think of? Well, you know, they're not sacrifices to me. I think that would be the biggest thing. Like if I look back on the things I missed out on, what, like not going to the movies when I was 15 on like (laughs) a weekday or I don't know, missing like a field trip, like 
well, no, I wanted to be at a tournament, you know? So there are not many, I can say maybe a few trips that I've missed. Like my best friend got married last year. I couldn't make it. And, and there are little things like that where I'm like, oof, I really hate what I do right now, but I, I have to accept it. So there aren't many things that I'm like, oh, I really missed out on this and had to sacrifice. Like going out and practicing all day is, is something that I don't love every day, but it's, I know that in order to get what I want to get out of myself, I have to do it. So it's just, it never comes in. Like it, I never question, like, do we really have to do this today? Or, yeah. you know, so it's just, I don't know, maybe it's already like a way of life because I've done it so long. What I'm hearing you really say is that your passions and your purpose truly align. You're doing something that just feels so right to you and that there are days that you go out there and you literally say to yourself, holy crap, this is what I get to do every single day. Yeah, I probably don't say that every day to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. But I think in my if I can say one thing that's never wavered in my career, it's it's the love for, that I have for the sport because my passion has gone in and out based on my mental state. But my love for the game and just winning and achieving my goals has never been a question because I knew I've had moments when I just didn't want to play, but I knew I still loved the sport, which sounds weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that Serena win, would you say that you got an influx of media attention, followers? What happened after that for you? Honestly, nothing feels different. <laughs> no, I just think maybe a few more people know my name. Like I'm known for the people that didn't know me before. I'm just the girl that beat Serena in her last match. It's not like <laughs> they know my, you know, like me as a player as much, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I try not to stay on social media for too long. I don't love it. I don't love the Instagram. It's, I try to keep away. What I've realized is like, maybe if this happened when I was younger, maybe I'd be like more, oh my God, this person knows who I am, but I'm 30 now. Like all that matters is just me reaching my goal. And, and if I get any little benefits of like, I don't know, going to a basketball game or a concert, like I'll take that any day, but yeah, nothing's really changed. It's the same. My family still makes fun of, fun of me on a daily. Like I live in a very humbling household. So <laughs> I love it coming full circle. I also uh, love that we can say here that anyone who wants to invite Isla to a really fun event, concert game, like she's all ears. All and <laughs> I love also you mentioning Instagram, you know, if someone goes to your Instagram page, they see a pro tennis athlete with over 268,000 followers. But when you look in the mirror, what do you see looking back at you? Uh, I see a kid. Like, I don't see a 30-year-old. That's for sure. I see, I see just like, I see my 10-year-old self so much when I, when I look in the mirror, like in, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, I have so much, um, like, I don't feel my age in tennis. That's one thing that's going against me a little bit because I feel like with my a few setbacks that I've had, I don't, I'm not even close to being, you know, finished with my sport, but there is a real thing of the age and, you know, being of age in, in any sport, like there's, there's going to be an end at some point that maybe, you know, and I have a fear of being at the end before I'm ready because maybe right now I'm, you know, I haven't played in, 
I think it's been over six months and I, I miss it like crazy. It's literally all I think about all day is when is it going to be that I'll be healthy and playing again. Um, but yeah, I just see someone that's, that's passionate, but also people won't know this. Like I'm either all in or I could be the laziest person ever. There's no middle for me. And that's a little scary. I mean, you alluded to it. Is there any idea or inkling of maybe when you're going to be able to be back on the court? I'm not going back out there before I'm ready to go. I wouldn't say deep, but just where I'm ready that my body knows what it's supposed to do in a way that, you know, I don't want to come off the court and be like, oh, my knee's not feeling well. Like, I just want to, my, my health is my priority. And also I don't want to just go participate. I want to know that I can win and that's hard to do right off the bat after injury like this, but I still want to have a shot at, you know, expecting myself to win and, and being physically ready. Very exciting. Very exciting. And I, I love hearing you say my health is my priority for someone who may be going through their own hurdle, their own injury right now, and is having difficulty adopting that same mindset. What do you tell them? That's probably the be- biggest thing in any recovering from any injury is the time that it needs to heal. I wish I could like see into my knee and see like where it's at with the healing process. But I think what we always have to focus on is you have to listen to your body on the daily and not don't get too crazy with it, which I do. (laughs) Like I'm sometimes so just thinking about the knee that it's actually fine. Like for certain things I, I can do it more automatically, but I'm always trying to trying to do the perfect amount where it's, I'm still strengthening it, but I'm not doing anything against it. And that's, that's the mind game that my knee gives me, you know, that I don't know if I'm doing enough or too much, but time and just do not slack off on your strength, on your recovery, also your nutrition, like have your cheat days, but, but it all, like all these 1% things recovering from a surgery or injury is really, really, really important. And this is coming from someone that. was not doing the one percenters all the time. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I'm happy to hear that it's all starting to pay off. I know at the top of this, we kind of joked about your father grounding you being like, you're not a pro just yet, but I would say that certainly now being a pro also comes hand in hand with a lot of really fun brands that you get to work with. I know that we were connected through the work that you do with Amorpho. Talk to me a little bit about how that plays in to not only your rehab, but your training regularly as well. Oh my gosh. Amorpho is literally my favorite thing to wear when I'm training. Have you, have you tried it? I have. What's your favorite go-to? It's got to be the vest. Oh, wow. You're like a hard worker. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? Uh, my go-to is the tights and a crop top. And then on my lighter days, it's the biker shorts, which I mean, if you're really, if you wear it, you know, it's not really like you should be able to get through your, all your workouts with that and not really feel it. But the tights really get me in the summer, like the long ones, because once you add sweat to all that micro load, oh my goodness, good luck. <laughs> but I I love hate the vest just because it looks amazing on it. That's what I love. I feel like God is wearing it, but oh my gosh, it kills me. It gives me like so many sore muscles the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you like training with it? I love training it because first of all, I don't have to do anything. Like you just wear it. Like it sounds weird, but you just put it on and I love the feel of it. Like I'm a little bit 
maybe vain is that the right word like I need to feel so good with what I'm wearing like I need to feel myself in the morning to have a good day there's research on that if you yes if you feel good when you go to work out then you're more likely to push harder there's a research study I'll put it in the show notes oh my gosh I don't feel so vain then I love that so I just love when I wear it and it snatches me in all the right places it gives a little bit of skin and the crop top and you feel sexy it's just it turns heads in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> and then aside from that, what else would you say? Um, what would you say excites you right now? My future. And I'm not talking like the near one as much as the one like that's ahead in maybe a few years. I'm really excited to see what I get into like as time goes on. And and it's weird to say because I mean, we sh- I, sh- I always... My mom always tells me I shouldn't think about the future, but I'm just excited to see because I have so many interests outside of tennis that I'm curious to see if I'll ever kind of explore, which I believe I will. But there's always that feeling. Will I really do it, though? You know, like what? Like, for example, I'd love to work in TV. And at the same time, I've never really done it. So what if I try it and I hate it, you know, but I do all, like all these little things around it. So I don't think I'll hate it. But um, doing something completely different from tennis is is really giving me like a little bit of spark. But short term, I'm just so excited to get back out there and just feel I don't feel like myself right now. I, I, I will tell you, I don't feel good because I'm just not doing what I love. I'm doing everything for it in order to get back there. But I'm not fulfilled right now. And I can't wait to feel that way whenever I get back into it. How do you give back to yourself when you are feeling a little bit down and out? Oh my goodness. Do I ever do that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I can relate. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I I need to be reminded by the people around me to do that. Uh, Like today, perfect example. I, I was just having a morning and no really apparent reason. Just, you know, it's another day of me doing the same thing and and hoping for some big improvement which probably didn't happen overnight and not seeing the big picture and I had to have my coach and my dad just really pull me back into reality and be like you should be screaming at the top of your lungs of how far you've come but I see that you know I see French Open I don't see like what did I do a month ago so when they talk to me like that they really also get get their angry voice on so gets me like oh okay don't be mad at me I get it (laughs) but then it makes me think like oh shoot I really need to like chill on myself so yeah I'm very bad at catching myself of talking down to myself I, I I I need people around me to get me back into it sometimes your honesty is really refreshing and you know I think that it is so relatable to hear that there is struggle when things don't go as planned. But if we've learned anything over the last hour of us chatting together, it's that you truly do have the ability to come back to calm and you can be your own biggest hype man. And you're also your biggest believer of what you are capable of, especially as you reiterated, winning against Serena you walked off of that court and you said to yourself, there is nothing that I can't do. And so it's really, yeah, like to go back around, like it's just, it's just refreshing to hear you that it can be both, right? You can believe in yourself and have tough moments. And we all feel that way at times. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm the perfect example of just lacking that, just that little bit of extra belief to achieve certain things. And it took me just a while to really get that and then put it into play because I am naturally so tough on myself and it's gotten me this far, but it's also been my enemy in a lot of moments, but I wish we could build the perfect person. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is, this is my, yeah, my, my bad side sometimes, but I'm lucky just to, like I said, be surrounded by people that recognize it and are really not afraid to be honest with me. Like my coach today, he got like a little angry with me today, which he never usually does, you know? And, and sometimes coaches will be be scared to give you the honest truth because I don't know, they're maybe protecting their job or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, and I'm, I'm very lucky to be around people that are genuine and aren't afraid to tell me how it is because it's really only for my own benefit. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, again, I'm so happy that we were able to find the time to sit down. I'm cheering you on. I'm so amped to see this big return in the next month or so. And before I let you go, I have one final question for you. Right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice going back to that, let's say, first gnarly shoulder injury that really took you out way before you were ready. You have an opportunity to give that Isla a piece of advice, knowing what you know now. What would you tell her? This might sound stupid, but I would just say that it will all be okay, one way or the other it's going to work out in some way or form or shape, whatever. It's just, it's not going to be what your brain is telling you. Like it will be fine. It'll probably be better than you even imagine. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't listen anyway. So <laughs> Ila, I'm so happy that we're able to do this. Tell us if the hurdlers don't follow along with you yet, how do they keep up with you? How can they follow along with you? Give us your details. I am mostly on Instagram and I try to post as much as realistic stuff as there is. I think I do a little bit of balance of my normal life and my practice. So follow along and see how I'm going. And yeah, I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>